1: And welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Shotgun Start. It is April 29th. Andy, how are we doing?
0: Brendan, doing good. How about you? I'm
1: good. I'm good. I've uh having a couple of cocktails here. The lion's share of this episode has been recorded with the interview with Shane Bacon on the subject of Davis Love the Third Spotlight. Had a couple, a little bit of bourbon. Now we're back here doing this front end intro, and I'm feeling good there for feeling so. groovy yeah, feeling groovy how are you how's the birthday
0: birthday was wonderful you know just a, so, just aside
1: a... from me antagonizing you you're not happy about that
0: yeah yeah it's it's, it's nighttime on my birthday and, and brendan sending me text messages with tweets about lebron james being better than michael jordan
1: i didn't say anything i just sent you a, sc- a screenshot of a tweet that made that argument i put my phone down walk away watch the come back to just the world on fire you're angry you're all worked up wound up
0: ironically i i happened to be watching at that very moment the the miami heat the, <laughs> lebron james miami heat losing a final finals series.
1: You went so, to all your talking points, your usual talking so, points. So,
0: you know, it was so. ironic because I never saw Jordan lose in the finals. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, all is, right. it probably is all I need to say. I oh, saw him bullshit. win six times oh, and never shit. lose in the finals. Oh, and, and, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> the, not the LeBroners are they are him. There's they're strong
1: arguments for both. Okay. I don't think there's any really just, strong
0: arguments for LeBron.
1: I don't, think you, I don't think Jordan fans ever thought there would be a contender in their lifetimes. And now they're like, just can't believe someone's... I'm not suggesting that LeBron's the right answer, but it's an actual discussion and argument. And people, the, the, the Chicago fans just... And I do this to all my friends. Like, I love Jordan. Obviously, he was the greatest athlete of my youth. But uh, I think the Chicago people in particular are just like, don't even let it get past, you know, square one. It's fun. It's fun well, to it's, kind There's of,
0: nothing to talk about. Six, to six, six and zero in the in the finals versus what is he? Three and three and five.
1: Yeah. So wait, that's why Marco Comer is probably a better, better you know golfer than David Duval, right? More majors. You're just going by rains and things like that. Okay. Never mind. All right. Let's. Uh, so we went long with Shane Bacon. I think we're going to split it up into two.
0: Everybody needed two parts on DL3.
1: <laughs> so we were researching this one and we were like, ah. I mean, not to give it the hard sell, but it, you know, there's not a lot like foul, there's not like a lot of personal fun or interesting stuff like Faldo. where that, that's as amusing, but I think we managed to extract a lot of fun stuff and there's obviously interesting and tragic a little bit with DL3 and, you know, potential- a, new, a
0: new way to say quadruple bogey. Uh, put, yeah
1: potential versus what was realized Freddie, the Freddie couple stuff uh so this is part one we're gonna break up um any other news we need to talk about in front?
0: I don't think so i don't think I, don't think anything's any- happening. I cannot
1: believe the way this this tournament in Dallas this fundraiser in Dallas is being covered like it's the masters this thing at Marido I don't, I don't know, need, yeah, I haven't
0: even been following it.
1: There's like a couple pros playing in some fundraiser and it's like getting game stories everywhere. I don't I don't understand why we even need to know about it, but I mean, I'm happy they're doing it. It's just other than that. I don't know. Patrick Harrington says there's no scenario in which like the teams for the Ryder cup will be all captain's picks, which I think is bogus. That'd be kind of fun if they did it that way. I don't know what they're going to do, but or what will be the hey, cutoff
0: if we get Westy. As an automatic qualifier. could be fun.
1: <laughs> there you go. That could be how Westy's compelled to play, forced to play. Okay. Uh, let's do an ad for Rocket. Our friends. Our friends from Rocket Sports. Rocket.com. The uh, promo code is SGS15, right? Yeah. This 15. is great.
0: This is, these are great must-haves. 15.
1: <laughs> that's, that's great. Creative. I like that.
0: I'm serious. Uh, These are must-have items for golf lovers right now.
1: I agree. I agree. So they're they are uh, they're slowly but surely getting back in stock. I think they're expecting the big shipment here in the next week or so for the hitting nets. Nets are out of stock, but the chipping nets are in stock. The, the whacka Hacks. The putting greens are in stock. Uh, my buddy who got a putting short game sharpener thing had to assemble some birthday present for his kid. And he's just, you know, getting worse for the wear in his basin after the kids went to bed like Christmas Eve night. And, you know, he said the thing that got him through it was, you know, he'd sip, then he'd, you know, twist a few screws in the assembly process, and then he'd put on his little, on his rucket green that he got. That got him through the uh, toy assembly process. Um, so they have those in stock. The chipping things—you are—that's your bread and butter, apparently, right?
0: That's pretty much all I do now. So I just sit in my backyard and chip balls into the into the whack a hacks.
1: It is kind of you know. As you listen to these, pretend you're—I don't know—Seve, Jose Maria. Some of these guys. I mean, hey, they didn't have a hack a knack whack a hack net, right? Yeah, they did it in the sand. You you got advanced. Maybe with your advanced equipment you can be a Sevy, short game sevy of your neighborhood or something like that. Work on your skills and goof around.
0: Who knows? Maybe I'll qualify for the US Open when it's all said and done with my new improved uh you know my training programs that I've so implemented.
1: SGS is the promo code, fifty percent off. Uh they are orders are you know back on the normal course of business. The initial initial COVID rush uh created a backlog, but they're through that. They hired more part-time workers. So they're employing more of America right now. The, not a lot of people are doing that, you know? Most people are laying off. Most people are getting furloughed. I can speak personally on that matter. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, they're hiring to get, get your orders out the door. So uh, Rucket, this promo code is SGS. And by the way, they have a lot of non-golf stuff. Lacrosse, baseball, soccer, basketball.
0: If I had a basketball um, hoop, I'd get the basketball net. There's nothing worse than having to chase a basketball.
1: I'm seeing a lot more of those around the neighborhood where I live. That wasn't a thing we had too much growing up, right? No. At all. And that's when, like a when thing. You,
0: when you shoot an air ball growing up, you get punished for it because the ball yeah. would just go running, you know, bouncing away. Go into, get that. Into the yeah. neighbor's bushes.
1: Sort of it. I walked uphill both ways tail from both of us. But, I mean, that was not a luxury we had growing up, these nuts. But I'm seeing them all around the neighborhood now with the hoops. So, all right, Rucket.com SGS is the promo code. Let's get to uh, Hurricane Shane. This is part one. Where are we cutting it off?
0: We're cutting it off right before the <laughs> thrilling talk of their of Davis Love III's World Cup dominance. So, we're going to get right, right so this- through we kind of get through the 92 uh, players.
1: This is good. His first big win is the Players' Championship. Uh, kind of was bursting on the scene with his length off the tee. The next, next uh, episode, part two, will be about his first major win at Wingfoot. Some other fun stuff. So. First
0: and only major win at Wingfoot. This is not the World Golf Hall of Fame. So we are not okay. counting, uh, oh, counting two the players, players. As, as majors. That's
1: correct. All right, everyone. Thanks again for the support. And here's part one. And thanks to Shane. Seriously. I think he came on thinking we were getting 45 minutes, put his kid down for a nap. And we just like locked him in a room and roped him into two hours.
0: Yeah. Go listen to his pod. Get a grip.
1: Oh, yeah. That's probably worth it. You know, he gave us two hours of his time and a day of research. So get a grip podcast. Also the clubhouse with Shane Bake.
0: One would say this is a free pod. Or free ad, but this is not a free ad. We, no. we had to work two hours for it, <laughs> plus research.
1: He's, he's an important person of many talents, and we just took a whole day of it. So get a grip in the clubhouse. Get a grip is with Max Homa, an you know, actual golfer, not just two dopes like us. So get a grip in the clubhouse. All right, here's part one with Shane. All right, we now welcome in Shane Bacon of Fox Sports, broadcaster, podcaster, uh, media personality, a man of many hats. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I always struggle with these title things, but, he, he, you know, he doesn't need an introduction. Shane Bacon is joining us to discuss Davis Love the Third, our next SGS Spotlight subject. Shane, welcome.
2: Hey, thanks for having me, Andy. I did want to ask, uh, I, you know, isolation. Can a hurricane be <laughs> held inside? Is, is it possible <laughs> to keep it internal? Of course. The winds have been blowing, man. <laughs> Lines are flapping. The house Her- is ready to explode.
0: You've been you've been tormenting your wife and uh, and kid and dog instead of <laughs> instead of the Bixby house, huh? <laughs> man, it,
2: of all of the things that bum me out, about the quarantine and and of course this is personal and not important was missing out on bixby 2.0 house it was going to be so great man
1: (laughs) there were some i get these reminders you know a year ago this that and the other happened it was like these photos from a year ago pop up in my notifications it's like oh that was maybe a hurricane moment or aftermath of a hurricane moment or you know over caffeinated moment things like that that was that was almost made me you know, lawn for the masters more than seeing, you know, tiger photos and things like that. So that, I'm, saying, that, I'm right there that, with
0: you. Was it Friday night that we went out to the, to the bar?
1: I mean, it was,
0: I think there were
1: multiple choices there. I don't know. <laughs> uh,
0: Which one was the, the outdoor bar night? That's
1: I
2: think Friday sounds before. Friday sounds accurate. I think Friday into Saturday and Saturday was a bit of a struggle. And I believe poor F since you, uh, uh I, I mean, it was a, A terse text about just keeping yourself in line for the shotgun start following the third (laughs) round, I believe.
1: Yes, yes. I think that's right. I think (laughs) that that sounds accurate. All right. Let's get to uh, Davis Love the third man who also had some uh, worse for the wear moments in Augusta, struggles in Augusta, uh, as we'll get to. Uh, First off, Shane, is there a particular interest in Davis Love for you? Why did Andy kind of corner you into doing this one why why davis love the third so two things
2: one is i feel like davis love was a guy in our lives for a long long time and we'll talk about how long in our lives he was and and winning in his 50s there were there's a moment at the players we'll talk about that final round where he played unbelievable that always has been in my mind as one of the best final rounds i ever watched Mm -hmm. as a you know younger person and the other thing is, I feel like I don't know a whole bunch about Davis Love. I mean, we know him. We know him as the champion. We know him as a winner or the Hall of Famer or all that. But you guys do an unbelievable job at diving into people. And sometimes I feel like I know the person decently well before listening to the podcast and I learn a lot more. I felt like with Davis Love, as I was reading and researching and kind of shotgun starting my way through his career, I was surprised at how little I knew.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I know. I agree with you. I will say as, as a court, I, I feel like I still know the least about him. I know a lot more. I discovered a lot more and like I think your point about he's been a, such a part of our lives for so long. I mean our age, we're kind of like in our 30s. you know when we really came into the game and watched golf and remembered it and kind of absorbed it, you know these things like Woozy winning the Masters, like we kind of might remember like a picture, but we don't remember the day or watching it very you know vividly was DL three is a little different. And, and you speak to that with O three, the, the players certainly coming of age as we came of age in the game.
0: He was definitely one of the most recognizable guys too, because he had the polo, like he had a look and like a aura, you know, and he was around for so long that it, it was one of the, he's gotta be one of the most recognizable golfers of the generation.
2: Yeah. Is it fair to say that Davis love when you picture him in your mind, does he look more like a professional golfer than anybody that's ever played? You know, he's, he was, he was, he's a, he's taller. He wears the polos. He always wore the slacks. You know, they, they were pressed. He had like the white, you know, saddle shoes on. I just feel like Davis love really embodied what a professional golfer looks like to me you know totally. and then you see the guys now that look i feel like they look like davis love looked even if the shirts were a little tighter and the muscles are a little bigger
1: yeah and he does the deadpan thing where like you know uh, golfers are stereotyped in a way to be sort of prim proper and boring's more pejorative term for it but yeah like <laughs> he's a deadpan kind of guy that like this is a creative player like this is what you would like sort of a, a model or a model pro golfer, whether it's, like you said, the attire, the mop of hair, and even down to his kind of, I don't know, just deadpan look. Andy. Yeah,
0: I agree. Um, I agree. He, he He's, and he's, he's got that. He's also like, there's a large contingent of professional golfers are from the Southeastern part of the country. And he's got that <laughs> Southern look, sure. you know, he's just yes. like a quintessential, you know, Southern Southeastern part of the United States looking person. Yeah, he's
2: he's the Alabama football fan, you know, like every Bama football fan looks the same. Yeah. And they're all from similar areas. He's the Bama football fan golfer to me.
1: Sure. Sure. The Bama Baines, too. He's got he's got like the, (laughs) you know, the mop down, you know, or did. I don't know if it says, you know, prominent anymore, but all right, let's get to You
0: want to get into it?
1: One of the things we'll get into is talk about like the, the Roman numerals and you're talking about the southern thing. I I, I don't know that he was this country club a boy as we kind of, you know, feel he is now. I, I don't know. It does seem like he's kind of a simple guy with they just wanted to hunt and stuff like that. Now, that's those are southern stereotypes, too. But I'm not sure he was as like the finer things kind of person as he's um, pigeonholed to be. All right. Let's let's do some basics.
0: Andy. All right. Davis Love, the third. DL3. Trip. His dad called him Trip. Yep. Um, That was short for triple sticks. You know, three. So, Trip. Triple bogey. Trip. <laughs> um, <laughs> what? All right. Here's from a DL. That's like a DL. That's
1: a common thing. You know that, right? People named Trip. That means the third. Well, Is this, are you just figuring this out?
0: No. <laughs> No, I I thought it was
1: because his middle name was Milton.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Drew is called Drew because of quadruple bogey. His dad named. Yeah, his dad called Davis Love, Davis Love, the third trip because of triple bogey. Wait, why
1: bogey? What does bogey have to do anything? What are you talking about?
0: He did it based off of golf terms. I found this in an article. So, Drew is called Drew because of Drupal, quadruple bogey. <laughs> <Come on. laughs> and really? Dead serious. Yeah. Are there, okay. Because so, I mean, Davis are, loved the fourth, but they call him Drew sure. because just like Davis was Trip. But there are a million the thirds
1: out there that go by Trip. That's just a common thing that. Well, happens. I guess
0: there's less. Whether force. it's a bogey
1: or just being the third. But Drew is that I wonder if there are not a lot of fourths that go by Drew. Maybe not.
2: So what's what's Drew's kid gonna go by?
0: Quinn. Quinn. Yeah. I think for that tough? we could start calling Drew Quad. Oh. So, quad love? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. All right. All right. <laughs> My mind's already blown. So, <laughs> we're already off the off the rails. The, okay. he, the most scripted part of the show is is done for here. All right. So, uh, here's from a Dia- uh, Jaime Diaz SI article. Perhaps now Davis Love III has been unchained. The golfer, universally admired for his pure swing and character, but considered by many peers to lack the competitive mean streak necessary to be a champion, came away from Wingfoot with his major, uh, one in a manner that loudly proclaimed he can win many more. Uh, newsflash, he didn't win any anyway.
1: there's uh, <laughs> Man. Several quotes like that. Freddie Couples, it's like, oh, he's going to win so many of these and all this.
0: It's
2: it's such a throwaway line that we in the media use, and I am guilty of as well. We always say this for no apparent reason. John Rahm's going to win so many majors. And I always say, sure, he might, but he might not.
0: Yeah, totally. After Sergio won the Masters, I said he was going to win four more. (laughs) Did you really? It's such a
1: device that I will cop to it. When I was like really starting young and write young earliest days of writing, like you just have to find a way to frame like otherwise maybe boring or dull or how do you how do you hype or amp something up? And like a guy would win like the Bob Hope and I'd have to throw in a line of like, Oh, this sets now he's a threat <laughs> at the masters. This sets him up for potential like it could be just some random guy. There's always a device that you lean on. It's like, oh first of many, floodgates are opening. This is going to set him up well for the majors if he yeah. wins, you know, a random event.
0: You know, Adam, oh, I, I, Adam I need Long. a Pat Kazire. Adam Blanc outdueled Phil down the stretch of the Bob Hope, and, and now he's ready to outdoel Phil down the stretch of Augusta.
1: I don't think I went that far, but I'd always have to throw in like some sort of framing for a major or you know. All right. His game his game
2: fits Augusta was yeah. an easy one. I use that all the time. Yes. I, I promise you I did that about Pat and Gazire, the year Pat and Gazire had two wins <laughs> on a radio show. It's like a sleeper for Augusta. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 Not the
1: worst. I mean, come Mister, on. Yeah.
0: This this could be his year, though. You know, it's yeah. in the fall. He's Mr. Yeah, October.
1: Mr. The, yeah,
0: Mr. Fall. Uh All okay, right. Andy,
1: what else we got? What are right. the nuts and bolts in so the career?
0: He was uh son son of a famed teacher, Davis Love uh Junior. The second was- dub. Maybe he's dub. <laughs> dub love was brought in the game by Harvey Penick, right? Harvey yeah. Penick. Uh-huh. Okay. So uh all right, so he's in the top 10 of the OWGR for 450 weeks. Pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. Uh OWG... Never made it
1: to number 1, correct? Yeah, highest two. rank
0: number 2. Uh one major, 97 PGA at Wingfoot. A mm-hmm. lot of places say that this was the last one with persimmon, and I read that all over the place, but oh. it was not. He was using a 975D.
1: How do, How do they not? How does, how is that wrong in all the articles? Because I, I made a note of that right away. It's like, oh, damn, last major with a wooden driver. And it, you're sure it's confirmed it was a 975?
0: I, I, I put something out on Twitter, and somebody corrected me, and I went into Getty and found pictures, and it was a 975D. Great driver, by the way. I driver. Best. Yeah. The best.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> uh, maybe he I mean he used that all week. There's no chance he used a persimmon or a wood at any any other time.
0: I it might have been a three wood, he might have used persimmon.
1: I'm just wood, I'm, so. I, don't, I that was in all the calls, but okay, we'll get to the in the, that
0: in the ninety in the playoff at the ninety six Vegas that Tiger won over yeah. him, he was using a persimmon driver okay um two players 92 and 03 18 other pga tour wins no european tour wins one japan tour win uh three straight world cup wins with Freddie couples two pnc father son titles <laughs> 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 a bunch of other you know silly season stuff uh he won the Heritage five times. He won the Wyndham-Greensboro event three times, Pebble twice, Players twice, International twice. So he, he had a lot of double ups. He, he kind of killed the Southeast Circuit. Um, all right. He made six Ryder Cup appearances, six President's Cup uh, appearances. He played on a Walker Cup team. Um, he had a 2-7 and seven all-time playoff record.
1: I noticed that too. I mean, I jumped on that early when I did the kind of basic record review, uh, and, and a lot of times he lost those playoffs to a par. It seemed uh, I could be wrong, but it, I, there were at least three, four, five of them that he lost uh, a par won the playoff. So
2: and and an O one double bogey won the playoff yes, that Davis Love lost. So that's uh, that was the Buick when Tywin Mickelson hit it in the trash and was so mad that people were in there looking for his ball because he hit a provisional straight down the middle of the fairway. He was
0: fuming.
2: (laughs) He was fuming that people were looking in there for his golf ball.
0: (laughs) Oh God. I remember that. Um, all right. So then he had five multi-win years. Um, and he turned pro midway through his junior year at UNC finishes seventh in that year's Q school. And then just on tour from there minute he gets on tour. He is like one of the longest, if not the longest driver, it was. I think he led the tour in driving distance his, fr- his first year on tour. Just crazy long. Everybody. I mean, there's an SI article about how long he is in '86 yeah. or '87. Um, ten year peak. You guys ready for the ten year peak?
1: Yeah, I'm fascinated to see what you pick. 95 to 05. I want to see where you go. What, so what I,
0: I did two. I kind of cheated. I did ten year peak for majors, and I did a ten year peak for okay. for tour. Okay. It's hard because 03, he really had 12 good years. Like there's a 12-year stretch. Okay. Um, so peak for 10-year str- run in majors, 03 to uh, uh, 93 to 02. One win, three runners up. That's a 95 Masters, 96 U.S. Open, 99 Masters. Three other top fives, 17 top, t- top tens, and 10 missed cuts and 40 starts. 25% of the time he missed the cut in that 10-year in his peak 10-year run on majors. 43% top 10s, 18% top 5 and 10% top 2. Um his 10-year run on tour, I did 92 to 01. He had he, probably his best year is 03, but mm-hmm. it's if you he won four times in in 03 and in uh in uh 92 and he had a he had a, another win in 93 so it's four win years you know it's kind of interchangeable it's hard to pick one or the other but i figured one extra win makes a makes it look a little bit better right so 14 wins 20 runners up 11 thirds 63 fourth through 10th 32 miscuts and 257 starts so 5% of the time he won 13% of the time top 2 18% of the time top 3, 42% of the time top 10 and just 12% miscut. So, pretty impressive top 10. I mean, almost half the time you tee it up, you're in the top 10 for 10 years. Pretty good.
1: <clears throat> pretty good. Pretty good. Ricky numbers. Um Okay, anything else on the nuts and bolts?
0: That's that's what I got.
1: Okay. Fantastic. UNC legend, do we need to talk anything about amateur? He did not did some damage in the A- ACC. He won the North and South, uh, but not not maybe as decorated an amateur player. Some of these Euros pl- players we talked about, certainly Mark O'Meara, who won the... Uh, no. And, uh, you know, some of these other guys, he, like Hal Sutton.
0: One big thing, he gave Michael Jordan his first set of clubs.
1: Yeah. So they, that's the thing that's become... Yeah, everybody's doing last dance content these days. You Aggregate. won't
0: believe who gave Michael Jordan his first set of clubs.
1: So he did get it. he is buddies with MJ got him sort of into the game and, and so not, not not a lot of else from his I, I did notice, you know, his dad was a legendary pro. His dad asked him like it seemed like his dad wasn't a an Oral Woods type. You know, you got it you have to do this. He's like, Hey, I can teach you the game to go have fun with like normal, you know, what all your the normal club and weekend games you see or you really really want to do this we can teach a game and it's not going to be you really got to bust your ass um and so he kind of took that latter approach of like i actually want to be a pro i really want to go for this not a you know i want to be a tour pro and he went for it big time and his dad obviously a monumental influence in his life um he was at what was it in Brunswick? What's the what's the school? The private uh
0: oh the academy. I forgot yeah, what so, it's called. I mean,
1: he was like a An academy. Golf. That sounds right. I mean, he had Bob Rotella. He was working with Bob Rotella his senior year. High In school. high school. High school. So this was like golf by his own choice. His dad doesn't sound like his dad made him do this or anything like that. But it was like whether he was Maybe not this dominant amateur player, but he was on the path to being a tour pro.
2: Yeah. You know, his dad's approach and everything you've read about his dad seemed like he was an unbelievable guy. Yeah. yeah. Is the approach that his dad took with Davis seems like the approach that I want to take with my son, where it's, I will present you paths. Yeah. You can follow whatever path you want to follow. It's your life. But if you want to pick this path, which is, I want you to be great at golf. I want you to be a professional. I want you to win. And you want to do all these things, then I'll help you get there. And he said there were times where Davis wasn't taking it seriously or wasn't practicing. And he'd go up to him and go, Hey, you're not going down the path that you picked of the ones I offered you. You need to go practice a little bit more. But it was never, and it never seemed like with the stuff I read that it was anything more than, you told me you wanted to do this. I'm here to point you in that direction.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. I I read a little bit about his, his his brother Mark and his and how they always said Mark was the more talented golfer between the two of them, but the thing that Davis had that Mark didn't have was was patience and, and you know, his dad would say, "Hey, you guys you guys hit this shot, and Mark would give up after fifteen tries or whatever, and say, "Oh, it's too hard." And Davis would just spend hours working on it until he finally could do it. And in that patience, that ability to just sit and work on something was was his one of his best skills that goes overlooked.
1: All right, so that's that's those are some of the younger days background. I, 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 go ahead.
0: I got this uh, Jaime Diaz article up from '87. Yeah,
1: that's where I was going next. Let's do it. I mean, I I just wanted to say, like, this guy doesn't... He's not a dairy farmer in Wales. This is just kind of like it's a more, you know, white bread, (laughs) straight to the... It's kind of similar
0: to Sandy Lyle.
1: We don't have a ton of... uh, I don't want to say he's boring to research. I'm just saying this was the least uh, onerous to research, I would say. Uh, And you
2: watched if you watched last dance episode three and four and watched the part about Dennis Rodman, this is as far from the Dennis Rodman part <laughs> as humanly possible. I mean, there was no flying to Vegas second round of the
1: masters. <laughs> I mean,
2: this guy was the polo outfit. I mean, he yeah. was yeah. put together and yeah. on a straight line.
1: So here's the, hey, let's go to Diaz. This, I think this is the most interesting thing about him is how he, he came on the tour and was just a, a monster off the tee.
0: Um, So, but if if your private pantheon of biomechanical excellence includes Jordan jamming, Elway throwing downfield, Mattingly going deep, and Tyson finishing, then it should also contain Davis Love III driving. I mean, just unbelievable. Like, put him in that type of air in terms of a driver, and this is you know. Then it goes into just talking about you know Greg Norman's talking about how how Davis flew at 40 past him. Uh, He was like
2: cam. He was like cam champ. I mean, it seems like he was cam champion when he turned pro. Everybody was just in awe of how far he could hit it.
1: Yeah. I was, I was going to make that exact same analogy comp, not necessarily just for game, but in terms of like a total, like this is a different species. Like, yeah, they are big hitters. DJ is a big hitter and can probably be that different speed, but it wasn't just like, I'm going to lead the tour and driving distance. It was like, I'm leading the tour and driving distance in a totally different, but feels like a different game kind of way so far. And I don't know that I knew he was a big hitter. I knew that, but I don't know that I I remembered this or knew that about him coming out, that he was like a game changing guy off the tee.
0: Yeah. All I right. mean, he was always a great, he's the other thing about him though, that gets uh that's I think he was really long, but he was also like really straight. He was a great, right. like a quintessential great driver. This was not like Jason Kokrak. I'm gonna hit it really far, but all over the map. This was yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna hit it like dead straight and really, really far. Uh,
2: it seems it seems like from what we're seeing, his startup and his ability to use distance to his advantage felt very much like Norman, and has felt very much like what we see with Rory now, where. Rory drives the ball so well because he hits it forever and he hits a lot of fairways.
1: Yep. Oh uh, yeah. No, I agree. Can I do more on this Diaz or you want yeah. to do it? Yeah, go for it. I mean, this is 87. This is when it was written. So I think it's probably mostly off of 86, which was his rookie year was 86 his rookie year. He turned
2: throw in 85. Yeah, yeah. 86 was his rookie year. Yeah.
1: Okay. So he led the tour in average driving distance at a record 285.7 yards, nearly two yards farther than second place. Greg twigs and about 25 more than tour average. Twigsy. You guys remember Greg twigs?
0: Tiger would call twig. him twigsy. <laughs>
1: twigsy. <laughs> what makes, the, what makes the figure otherworldly is that love hits a one iron off the tee more than he does a driver. His one iron. One iron travels about 260 yards with roll. So it sounds like he was often rarely hitting driver despite leading the tour and driving distance average. sounds like Sandy Lyle. A little bit. Yeah. One iron. Yeah. We'll get into some of these anecdotes of him clubbing down or where he couldn't hit driver and some of these outrageous, you know, 400 yard drives and things like that. More on his swing. In fact, the sheer size of Love's swing is the biggest reason he hits the ball so far. On the practice tee, this is a great Diaz line. Loves Swain stands out like a windmill, a bunch of electric, in a bunch, among a bunch of electric fans. I botched that. Such good writing. Um, here's a he. He talked to some like technical guy, like TrackMan before there was TrackMan guys. Some guy, you know, punching in numbers. You know, Bryson's dad, maybe I don't know. Um, <laughs> the human body. Some guy named Man is his last name. The human body isn't built to handle the kind of speed Davis generates it's love's gift that he can when he cracks the whip just right the clubhead of his driver is traveling at 125 miles an hour at impact more than 10 miles per hour faster than any swing man this this science guy has measured under normal conditions and with a square hit such clubhead speed will launch a 300 yard drive just it, marveling at 300 yards
0: it's important to note this 125 clubhead speed with a steel shaft woodhead driver you know yeah, like right. this is so different. fast yeah right. like this is not like 50 gram graphite shaft 460 C. like this is not like a- pure aerodynamic driver like people that like 125 with persimmon and steel is so much different than 125 with graphite and and titanium head.
1: There was a a clip later with like graphite shafts screwed him up for a while. Right. Where he switched. Same thing as tiger. Right.
2: That's why tiger hated him. I mean, these guys were, were fast swinging dry. These guys swung it a lot faster than other people, uh, their peers. Yeah. And so they had a hard time transitioning to a different shaft because they were comfortable with what they, they use. I mean, it goes back to the whole persimmon driver. As long as he played that is if you beat it forever and you don't want to change, you don't have to, because you're still going to be one of the longest people on tour. I wanted to present this to you guys because I read a lot about how far he hits it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering as we look at the guys back in the eighties and nineties and into the two thousands and their success 50 plus, it's so much more important to be a long driver than anything else. You know, oh, McCarron yeah. hits it forever, right? right? And McCarron's having a lot of success on the champions. We see Davis Love win into his 50s. The distance is very helpful when you're 25 and when you're 35. But I feel like that's the thing that's translating to the successes of these guys when they get older, you know, is that they can still compete. VJ's the same way, you know, a guy that yeah. hit it forever. And he was able to compete against PJ Tour players because he could hit it 320 when he was – 26 and he could hit a 320 when he was
1: 52. Probably would have allowed Love to still be competitive. You know, he won the Wyndham. What year was that? 15?
2: 2015,
1: 51 years old. Third, third, oldest ever on tour. And, you know, I think he joined only maybe, I think it was Sneed to win in three different decades on the PGA Tour. It's a very, I think it's him and one other, Love. And because he's just a natural, like, the all these things that are so optimized now, like Davis Love the Third's kind of been doing it for thirty years.
0: You know another player that's won in three decades? Westy. Yeah.
1: All right. But not on the PGA tour. <laughs> not on the PGA tour.
2: 4 f when when andy asks you these questions when you guys are doing the podcast do you just have three names that you always <laughs> yeah. shout? That, that's how it works right
1: yeah that's pretty much it ernie westy i don't know what I, there's always or if he's trying to you know crap on somebody it's like kelly Phil Crouch. or yeah yeah kelly <laughs> yeah. uh all right anything else from diaz i i love the mj so biomechan- biomechanical you know Marvel, like Elway, Michael Jordan, Tyson. And then he ends it with, as devoted as Love is to golf, his favorite memories are a jersey and a pair of high tops that, that he gave basketball, or no, that basketball star Jordan, you know, wore while he was at North Carolina, and gave to him. Um, if I could be Michael Jordan, I would, says Love. The last time I saw him, he told me, Davis, I'm going to buy myself a golf course, and in five years, I'm going to be on tour. Someone say, this is Jaime Diaz, not prone to hype. Some would say that love has the potential to go as far in his sport as Jordan has gone in his. The vital unknown is whether love can learn to win. Now, this is 87 Jordan. So like not like necessarily, you know, another Jordan was struggling to win at the time too. You know, Um, I don't want to get Andy worked up here. But again, this is the kind of talent, the kind of uh, athlete, so to speak, that we were talking about in his first two, three years on tour. Andy, anything else on that article?
0: Nothing on that, but his first win came shortly after this article. Actually, week, weeks after it. This article was March 23rd of 87, and he yep. wins the Heritage in 87.
1: Okay. Not, okay.
0: Don't have a ton here. This is just one quick aned- anecdote that I think is going to be important for the rest of this discussion. How okay. he won. How do he win? He was in the clubhouse. He was one back of Steve Jones, who uh, held a one-shot lead on the 18th hole at Heritage. And he hit the ball, which, of course, everybody that has watched the Heritage, it's the widest fairway in golf. It's 100 yards wide. <laughs> <laughs> Literally massive fairway. He hit an OB. <laughs> he hit an OB right on the 18th at Heritage. Right, right. (laughs) There's (laughs) 70 yards left. I mean, it's a hundred yard wide fairway. (laughs) So he makes double and just just gives gives the uh, title the DL three. So that that's his first win. We're gonna talk,
1: I think, a bit more about the heritage later, but it became a
0: stomping ground.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting for his theory on why. Just talking about the mental and the physical of peaking for the Masters, things like that. Um, all right. So anything else in these earlier years, like the late 80s, before we get so, to
2: this? So, I mean, we will get into this, I can only imagine. But the thing, one of the glaring points of the DL3 career yeah, was how much he struggled in the majors early in his career. You know, with how impressive he was. You know, he finishes in 86. He played in his first major, was the PJ Championship. He finished T-47. Then he missed six straight cuts in majors following that. And this really was the story of Davis Love to start, was he was an impressive player. And there are guys we see now that follow in the footsteps of Davis Love in terms of how well they play on tour and how poorly they play in majors. And what that says to me, and I'd love your thoughts on this, is there is obviously a stranglehold mentally on certain guys' inability to get to a major championship and make it feel like a regular tour event. I feel like you see that with Rory at the Masters now, but there are young players that you can go through their careers. They are really impressive and always on the leaderboard at PGA Tour events that aren't majors. The moment the major happens, they are completely different players, and that was what Davis Love was at all these majors, and that became really the theme early of his career.
1: I mean – yeah, for a decade almost. Andy, that's a layup. That seems like one for you. Uh, the, the the modern uh, modern equivalent. You know, there's options there. The thick boy. You know, he just is I that think, course setup. Is th- that the different change in the, going from a tour event? Is that mental? You know, what do I you think? think it's that all is? mental.
0: I think yeah. it's all mental because if you're playing great golf and you're going to win a tour event, you should be at least in the mix at a at a major. You know, the golf doesn't change that drastically, but I think as as Shane alluded to, it is it's the it's the mentality and the ability to. I think there's something that people psych out, and I think every golfer can relate to this when they played in their club championship, their flighted club championship, or whatever it is. When you know it's something important, sometimes you really can struggle with managing a expectations and be in the round, being patient, because that's I think the biggest thing and I, I, I don't know if Shane you feel the same way is like in tournament golf in, in especially rounds that you're looking forward to is just it's getting out of the gates and then being patient and allowing stuff to happen. And I think with majors for professional, it's it's a different as much as you want to say, like you said, it's the same week as it's the same thing as every other week. It's not. And the, everybody knows that their career at that, especially DL three, he's get this Sports Illustrated. He hasn't won anything. And there's a Sports Illustrated feature comparing him to Mike Tyson and, and uh, Michael Jordan. You know, it's just. It's that's expectations and those expectations. The only thing that satisfies them, the heritage doesn't satisfy them. Major championships satisfy them because, yeah, yeah.
2: I was just going to say, I mean, when you, when you think of how majors impact certain players in their careers, you know, I feel like a great case study that we'll have for years to come and decades to come is Kepka is Kepka's ability to go to majors and care minimally if caring at all. And, you know, that's something he said and he's preached. But it's always felt like when Brooks Kepka's at a major, he understands that the pressure isn't really going to drown him because he doesn't care if he drowns. It's fine. It's just on to the next week. And I feel like that is super rare. You know, Tiger is just better than everybody, right? And Tiger is just going to beat people at every event and every golf course. Rory, the same way, right? I mean, when Rory's on – He's just better than everybody else. Spieth, I feel like, was mentally better than everybody and just never let it get in between his ears. He was always great at those moments. And I feel like there is a long list. You know, you mentioned Bryson. Bryson's a guy that's going through that right now, Mm -hmm. where when it's major championship week, it feels really nervy to those guys.
0: Yeah. So it it might be something also with like the way the mental makeup, like what? and in the way it sounded like like Davis like he worked hard he worked really hard and he practiced a lot and he and he kind of had this like I'll figure it out approach and Bryson I'm not comparing the two but Bryson's got a similar where like oh I'll outwork people I'm going to practice a ton I'm going to figure this stuff out and and that went they're thinking probably like I imagine Bryson thinks about how he's prepping going into a major a ton. And that in a way is almost the problem where you should just, okay, like I play golf and this is the way I get ready for every golf week.
1: So with, with DL three, just to, again, to Shane's point, like turns pro 85, first full season, 86, first major end of 86, not a single top 10 in a major until 1995. So what'd you say it was 27 events? No t- twenty-seven
2: straight majors, no top tens.
1: Even with the talent the and the hype and all that stuff. But prior to that first top ten, um, he, he won two Harbor Towns, one international out in Colorado. Players. Yeah, then I was getting to that. His first big win really is the ninety two players' championship at TPC Sawgrass. Um, what do we have on that? You want you want to go on that, Andy or
0: Yeah, I mean, to set the stage, he starts the day a couple shots behind Faldo and just ahead of Couples.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was it was with the big guns at the time, like guys who were going well.
0: And Couples and Faldo at this point are the two best players in the world. Like Couples Mm -hmm. has gone on a crazy run. Uh, DL3 at the start of 92 was on a on a tear, too. This is a year he won four times. He started the year he's with he went seventh, eighth um, and then leading into the players he went second at uh los angeles at at la open which he him and couples had like a sunday duel um fourth at Durrell, eighth at nestle and then he wins at the players so he he comes ahead and you know faldo kind of is giving it away a little bit and um and then he he birdies 16 and he gets hits the green on on 17 but before he hits the green I was standing there. uh, Oh, here you go. This is what he said. So he said, I was standing there thinking, I've got Nick Faldo behind me and Freddie in front of me, the two top players in the world, and all I've got to do is keep the ball out of the water to beat him. And he hits it close. I think he made birdie there. but He He says, how I was
1: was pretty scared.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Like most nervous he's ever been.
1: Yeah. I was scared. 17th tee foul in between Faldo and couples, uh, $324,000 first place check is what he won. Uh, man, so much money in these articles
2: on this SI vault thing. Every article just, I mean, they, it is, it is printed in paragraph after paragraph, either how much they won or how much they lost by missing a putt or making a bogey. That was,
0: that was catnip.
1: Yeah, was they, everything was about the prize money well, we've, oh, yeah.
0: we've got a new currency now
1: fedex cup points right
0: yeah it's relatable hey i missed that putt he lost 200 fedex cup points by missing that putt
1: the best one we were talking about this on text earlier today is uh not maybe not the best but another prize was like closest in two on the 18th at kapalua won a lincoln navigator
0: navigator wrote like re- back in that day.
1: Oh no, totally. I think it was a late 90s article <laughs> of it, which we'll get to. It was just like it, uh, so much of the framing around these articles prize money. You want a navigator for being closest on the second shot at Capalo. It's just interesting how the, all think, that about,
2: stuff. think about that now versus some of the prizes you can win. What was the event where it was the Eagle hole in one eagle? <laughs>
1: Rocket Morgans, Detroit, Detroit, (laughs) 313.
2: Impossible. Nobody's ever done it in the history of of golf. It's never been done. (laughs) Uh,
1: That's pretty good. Okay. So player 92 players, anything else on this? I mean, this starts a trend or maybe we already had this trend of him pretty much saying I was scared. I was nervous. He really talks about how you could tell He's someone who had worked with Bob Rotella since he was a senior in high school. He's very, you know, in all his comments after the round, whether it was a loss or a win, he's pretty like, that's not what I do. I, I've stopped. I clammed up. I need to play free. I was trying too hard. Like, there's all these, and it's kind of cliche, but I believe it with him. It's just it because it's so prevalent in, in all yeah. these comments.
0: The other thing from that article, um, the article about the couple's uh, showdown in in L.A. that I started to notice in more and more articles, he had rabbit ears too. Like yeah. Things that people said would really bother him, and like he would hear things in the crowd, like you're you're a professional golfer and you're you're gonna have a bunch of yo-yos saying stupid stuff, you know, like having walked a tournament like people say like I'm always every time I go to a tournament I'm always amazed at the idiotic things that people say to golfers like Yo, on this, Thursday morning yeah. but it, it, if you're in a final group on Sunday is it going to be even worse and and the thing is it, like it it would like bother them you know so,
1: <coughs> sorry so a big part of that Riley article I think it was Rick Riley on the 92 players is around hecklers like that who were betting on <coughs> cough is hitting me uh betting on whether he would be able to chip it close or chip it in on the eighth hole. And ironically, you know, we talk about his length and all this. It seems like that players was one on the back of uh, Wedge's a uh, short game around the green, and he holed out on this eighth hole, and that. And he turned to these guys he was like, I hope you all lost your bet or something like that. Uh, on the eighth at, at sagra
0: and I think that's the thing that it was so tantalizing about Davis Love is that yeah. he had this raw power and this un un out of this world driving ability. But he also was he he was the whole package. He had the he had the iron play. He had the he had the short game. He wasn't a one trick pony. You know, um, he, he, the driving ability was like Cam Champ, but unlike Cam Champ, he had all the other tools around him you know um except you know as we start to see there was just something that happened when the pressure came it it just it got him a little
1: uh it, it's a this doesn't tie in with this win but because you know we're now chronologically after we should talk about this is post after his dad had died in a, in a plane crash and obviously this mm-hmm. becomes a theme for the rest of his career obviously his life it's something that weighs on him something that a constant motivator, and so his dad—I don't know—that we don't need to go in a ton of detail. His, his dad was obviously a, you know, his best friend, got him into the game, and, and died in a plane crash—a small plane going from when they were at Sea Island, which is like only an hour drive, right, to Jacksonville. I think they were going from Sea Island to Jacksonville on to Tampa. Plane died or plane crashed. Bad he- weather. It was foggy. He died along with uh, I think two of the other pros at uh, the Sea Island area,
2: and one of, and one of the pros was one of Davis Love's best friends. So I it's know. you know you lose your dad who's your mentor and your best friend, and you're losing one of your best friends that you've had growing up your entire life. I mean, it was the the whole story. Diving into that story of of when they found out and being in Hawaii and having to get back. Yeah you know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's grip, It's hard to read, you know, cause yeah. you just feel your, your heart goes out to, to the loves. And, and this whole, this whole thing happening, Davis said, the moment he heard, you know, that the plane went missing, he knew, ex- he knew exactly what had happened before. Obviously news, news, it broke.
0: And like the, the eerie stuff is like the, before, you know, his dad was like, aren't you going to practice? And he was like, Oh, it's just Hawaii. I'm going out there to have fun. And it was just like, kind of like a, it's just a weird, it's like a, a symbolic thing to have, like when your dad's like that, the type of daddy was like, you know, it got him into the game and showed him how to be great at the game. And that's like one of your last conversations with your dad. It's it just, just kind of it's it's just very sad. Like, I mean, it's so hard to read now.
1: We're jumping ahead a little bit, but like the details around it. Michael Bamberger had it in a 1997 article. Kapalua. So his dad passed in 1988. The crash. Uh, but it was while he was at Kapalua, which was then like a season-ending event, Kapalua International, and he's like, you know, on the other side of the country. And he gets, he, I think, he said he was calling home to see how his daughter was doing because she was, you know, a toddler being babysit by their grandma or her grandma. It he
0: was their first trip away from their kid.
1: And uh, you know, you know, Davis's mom picks up and can't like speak on the other side because the plane had, you know, disappeared off the radar. Um, and so then he's like, "What do I?" It was interesting. He talk he like talks to Mark Rolfing, who Rolfing I get, I did not know Rolfing's dad had, had died in the plane crash. So there was some kind of you know fraternity there with with, with Rolf um, to kind of figure out what do I okay. Rolfing at that point was also you know the head honch. I think he was running the event Kapalua then, um, and a friend in San Francisco. He's like trying to arrange. Plane, the private plane or some charter plane from San Francisco to Jacksonville. Figuring out how to get from Maui to San Francisco, it was just like a pretty vivid storytelling by Bamberger, and then Davis obviously gave him a ton of ton of details. And they find out, I think, in San Francisco that you know they they found the plane. There are no survivors, and you got to fly from San Francisco to Jacksonville, uh, knowing that it was just like a real the circumstances around it are obviously horrible losing a dad losing it prematurely are horrible it's just the the vivid storytelling of it just added a little bit of color to how we came to understand him during this research um anything else on that
0: i i think it's just something that he carried and obviously this became a big theme of the of the pga finally winning a major in 97 and there was the the rainbow and everything and i think that The, this tragedy is something that he carried for a really long time. And he talked about it in a, in an interview. I, I read that, that he, you know, it took him years to get over this, which understandably. So
1: not sure he ever did again, like Shane said, it was also like his best friend, the, the, the other pro Jimmy Hodges, I think was his name um, and Davis love junior. So again, framing of the 92 players, you Know that's like kind of in the area where the plane went down, it's his first real big career win. The whole framing around it was like, uh, I, I think Riley wrote, Is there's 324 grand, 10 year PGA Tour exemption, and maybe a bit of his father's own memory on the line, is how Riley termed it. He wins the 92 players with Faldo and Freddie kind of gunning for him at the same time.
0: So then a couple of weeks later, Freddie wins the Masters. Yeah. And Riley writes another article in May about Fred, like the new big, you know, Fred Couples and, and Davis Love, the two American stars.
1: This is fantastic.
0: Um, it, and it, this is a South African Fulton Allen. Uh, in, in years past, it was Arnold, Palmer and Nicholas. Then it was Watson and Seve. Now the new pace is being set by Couples and Love. And the golf world is particularly punchy with delight. It's going to—it's like going to the airport and trying to decide which long-lost son to hug first. Since Watson last dominated in 1980 with six tour wins, American fans have pined for even one great U.S. player to come along. Suddenly there are two, neither of whom speaks Welsh or Spanish or puts shrimps on Barbies. This was... I, you know, so
1: cause Freddie was rolling. We did our Freddie spotlight and we understand 92 What was he like top six, top nines or so. Yeah. He was always like just dominating. Davis is sort of right there on his heels and you're reading all these articles as if like, this is the American golf is reborn. Uh, And it lasted maybe like six months the way that the, the, the now these guys teamed up the world cup events for a couple of years, but, the they, were, they, and were, they were
0: best friends too. That was the other thing. Is they were sure. like they were boys on tour. Like those two guys were really close.
1: I'm trying to think of what it would be like now. Say JT um, and Spieth. Yeah, except they were both. They both like were in the top five for three months in a row, and they both won several times. And it's like no one else can touch them. And also, there had been a drought of great American golf stars preceding it. That's kind of how it, the reading it now. The summer of like love and couples. This was a huge thing in '92. Uh, Jay- yeah, and,
2: and they were they were so similar. That's what's so crazy to me is you okay. dive into this, and these are two guys that were the face of American golf for a pretty good stretch, right? And they both were kind of known, and I, I'm not going to use the word chokers, but I would say slightly underachievers because. They would get there. They would finish fifth and finish third and finish second in masters. But both had such a hard time getting over the hump in the big events.
1: Yeah. No, completely. I I, I think we'll get into this in a legacy discussion, but I, I think there's some interesting Andy's gonna be in a p- pickle, you know. When we talk about, <laughs> you know, we put them all on the table, Duvall, Freddie. Has Sutton some of these like one major players winner and Davis. I, I don't know. It's, it'll be interesting when we get there. Um, all right. So, so again, 92, everybody's fired up. He's won the players. Uh, even Riley though. He goes, okay, okay. So the raves are ridiculous premature and both players could be back in Hal Suttonville by September. <laughs> I so that that. Was good line. <laughs> but Hey, let's let American golf fans wallow in this wealth for a while. And again, both so long. Like the the hallmark of them is that they're just hammering the ball. They have like similar ways in which they, you know, capture the crowd's imagination.
0: Uh, Riley talks a little bit about love, like and how, how, how much different how much different they are in terms yeah. of like on course persona. Love yeah. though has a tightness to his face and eyes, a wince that makes it look as if he was undergoing a tax audit audit. <laughs> though likable and warm and private, it would take a court order to unpurse his lips. His walk is stiff and steady, straight and purposeful, like that of a commuter who knows exactly when his train will leave. He wears his cardigans fastened all the way up and his hair straight, and he has the face of a 16-year-old. It all makes him appear to be a boy marching to church.
1: Get into that play one more time. It's like they're so long too that couple shortened his sway and love had to shorten his too and hits a lower trajectory ball because they were both just like too long for so many of these par fours and running through fairways. Um and it's interesting that they were personally tight. Like couple love said, like I'm as happy as uh, that Fred won the Masters as if I'd won it myself. But for the crowds. Like you just talked about, Andy, the description of him being, you know, pursed lips and more of a straight shooter. And Freddie's just kind of like throwing his hands up. He's yeah. like emoting and gesticulating about every shot and casually strolling. And they love sort of like the bad guy. Yeah. Because there's there are two, two best players on the PGA Tour. You know, Faldo's not really on the stateside tour as much. But and this is another clip. Love's televised face of stone has made him the villain in the couple's love rivalry. Just as Fat Jack, so the Jack Arnie comparison again, came off as the bad guy in his early wars with the heroic Arnie. The LA playoff between Cuffles and Love was truly a love hate affair. Fans even hollered, miss it, over one of Love's putts. Freddie's the most popular play on tour, says Love. And I'm. And Tom Watson, here's the last thing I'll get to in this interview. Watson said, Love hits it straighter, and he's the more fundamentally sound player but couples has more talent. Again, I, these guys were like inextricably tied there for the first mid-90s. I think even now when we look back, it'll be interesting to see how Andy, uh, you know, how you compare them. You know, one major each. Uh,
2: we'll, we'll I'll say it. this about Davis Love. When you look, and, and I know we're going through it year by year. Yeah. When you look at his wins, he was the kind of guy... That almost all of his wins. Now, not every one of them, but a lot of them. It was it was a week where it was clicking for him, and he beat the hell out of everybody else. I mean, yes. if you look at these victories, they are four shot, six shot, eight shot victories. Yep. He would run away from fields a lot throughout his career. I mean, it would even even into you know even into two thousand three. You know, he's kind of running away with that international.
1: Those were my two big like holistic takes from The the, the playoff record. Which was underwhelming, and then be like, "Wow, he really like ran, beat the hell out of people, won by you know six, seven, eight, nine shots, points." The international, in the case of the Stableford, like really dominated when he won. Um,
2: it's a little of the mentality that Tiger mentioned last year, where he said, "Now with the tour, it's all about getting hot for five weeks, or clicking for five weeks." You know, that's what he's trying to do now with how deep the PGA Tour is and, and how everything is played and equipment. I feel like that was Davis Love's entire career was I'm gonna I'm gonna find it for five or six weeks a year, and mm-hmm. I'm probably gonna win those five or six time those three of those five events. I'm gonna win by four or five shots.
0: Well, I think yeah. that's a, th- what we've seen with the proliferation of power players, and that's what the huge advantage that power gives you as a player when you're straight and long. Like you know, if you're a great driver of the golf ball, that you you bring that almost every single week you're gonna have a couple off weeks but power never leaves like you have good weeks and bad weeks with irons you have good weeks and bad weeks around the greens good weeks and bad weeks on uh, on the greens you never like nobody ever is like 320 one week and 280 the next like distance <laughs> is always there so yeah. like one of the things that, advantage of a power player is is that like All that has to happen is that like one other thing clicks and you're going to win, you know, if you're driving the ball well. So it's like, oh, he drove it well. He made some putts and he hit his irons well. He's going to win by five because he's got such a massive advantage off the tee. And I think that's what we're seeing now with the tour is that there's so many good drivers of the golf ball that what happens is it's just like, oh, well, like this is the week that they putted well and hit their irons pretty close.
1: All right. Anything else on on love and couples? Again, this, this is maybe as well as he played just in terms of a, like a compacted stretch. Oh, three is like another strong argument, which we'll get to Uh, anything else on that. Nothing on that. I mean, I will say it faded fast. Like obviously the couples love thing. They won more. They, but in terms of them going back and forth and always being around, you know, I, I think it's, you know, they talk about Freddie's marriage unraveled and, and, Davis got, I don't know, uh, you know, I don't know, love phenomenon ended, is what they said. He had only one top 10 to finish the rest of the year after they had both made more than a million dollars in earnings by the end of April, which a million was a ton. I uh, think,
0: went, wasn't that the year that Freddie just shut it down? <laughs> <laughs> that, I think that's <laughs> right. That's right. There was one year where he was like, "They're like, oh, and most people would go chase the money Title." What, what did Freddie do? He shut it down. He played was, played three times after July.
1: I did see this Ray Floyd art, this Ray Floyd quote that said, "After he won the Masters, Fred can win this tournament as many times as this Nicholas or Palmer." about Augusta, which you know, as we talked about. He was I've, around a lot, but never won after ninety two. I
0: think one of the things that we'll we'll uncover now, I think we're gonna start to get it, is like both of them had a little bit unreliable putters, which which really hurts you late on Sundays and majors. <laughs>